Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. You know, I believe, uh, I believe God was the, uh, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, before there was ever windows uh, to go wrong for us. So it's not a big deal. My PowerPoint doesn't add anything to my message. So uh, we're just fine today. How's everybody doing today? We, we okay? Wow, it's good. It's good to see you all. Uh, my name is Micah Siebert, and uh, just for a little bit of context, I'm a youth pastor across town. Um, I speak fast, and I get a little out of control, so you might want to crank the hearing aid up and uh, go back and watch this later. I can't control it. I'm passionate by nature, and I make no apologies. Uh, but uh, but I want to I I share a story here. I, the other day, I was, I was watching uh, my wife. I don't, you know, I don't know if you do this in your home. But there's these shows that come on that for some reason uh, are like sinful temptations that our wives, men, watch. And this one's called uh, Live PD. I don't know if you guys do this, but I'm joking, honey. You're, it's, it's a beautiful show. Um, and they basically, over the course of a night, in, 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 in low-income, high-crime neighborhoods, they send these officer teams to go and kind of scout what kind of uh, drama is going to unfold. And then they have a host uh, pedal this drama uh, for network dollars, and on this one night we were watching this show, and and um, uh, they, they, it comes over the it comes over the line, you know. We got a three nineteen in progress. We got a three nineteen. They're like, oh no, a three nineteen. And so they all like get in their vehicles, they start cruising. Yeah, I got to head down to one hundred one First Avenue. One hundred one First Avenue. And they're all like booking it to one hundred one First Avenue because we got a suspect on the loose. This is not a good situation. It's a code one nineteen. That's whatever I said. And, uh, and so they all get there, and bless their hearts, they got 80 pounds of gear, 80 pounds of donuts, and they are running, and they are booking it, looking for this perp, because it's a, it's a cold 119 or whatever, and, and so they're looking at him at 1st Avenue, 101 1st Avenue, and, and they're, they're all over the place looking for this guy, and they're running this way, they're running that way, and then you hear this, uh, yeah, that's going to be uh, 101 1st uh, Street, uh, 101 1st Street. Not First Avenue, First Street. So they all book it back to their car, and they all, you know, and they zoom out, and it's like, we got to go find something else to follow because this is a mess. What I want you to know uh, is that you need the right address if you're going to solve the problem. And today I want to look into James, and I want to just, I want to set up something for you. You need the right template if you're going to rightly interpret or solve the problems of a text. And so I'm going to do something a little bit interesting today. I want to start with my first maybe 10 minutes giving you just some help, uh, a template of sorts to read James with, because James is one of these books that is is so fun, because I, I have found, look, I, I don't stand up here as reverend or father, you know, or uh, I come to you as, as, as brother. I come to you as a student and a, and a, and a servant of uh, the Most High God, and I, I want you to see things that are here for your benefit. And, and so uh, we, we start with, in James with something that's very unique. Uh, James, if you didn't know, was, was uh, believed to be the brother of Jesus. I mean, most people would agree with that. Um, and so what I want to do is start by kind of uh, unpacking a few things. Who he's writing to, his audience, uh, who his influences were that, that kind of played into uh, how he wrote, his style and his intent. 
And, and I believe that when we figure out those things, we're going to then take that template to James 3, 13 through 18, and you're going to hopefully see this passage sing with content, sing with application for your life. But then when you leave here, days from now, weeks from now, that concept of how James writes will stick with you and bring you much more fruit than, than I will in the short time I have with you today. So let's start with audience. Uh, James is writing uh, to the dispersion or diaspora. It's a, it's a scattered group of Jewish believers um, uh, who, who are most likely facing a great deal of persecution. Uh, some people have said that they're most likely uh, because of the lack of kind of theological language in James's book that they are, are most likely not new believers because we're not, we're not talking a, a lot about uh, Jesus and the gospel, though that is a prerequisite for what he does talk about, which is kind of a, a corrective defining of, of, of spiritual maturity, but I'll get in that in a minute. So, um, so he's writing to these people to cheer on the faithful and to challenge the failing. So that's kind of his audience, and his influences are his brother Jesus. I mean, there's a, at least a dozen in the book of James, a dozen references back to just the Sermon on the Mount. And so what you're going to see as you read is a lot of, of, of straight-line connections to things Jesus said uh, or did, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to see that today. And he was also heavily influenced by wisdom literature, especially Proverbs, and so, uh, which, is, which bears on his, his style, because he likes to write, and, and maybe you've never noticed, I know when I, when I saw this, uh, I, I probably uh, first discovered this maybe a year ago or more, but it really helps. He kind of he doesn't run a same topic through, like a lot of times the way Paul might write a letter. He, he addresses specific topics, and he does it in a specific amount of space. He'll, he'll pose a provocative thought or question or statement. He'll conclude with a proverb. This is kind of that link back to his affinity for the wisdom literature. And in the middle, he kind of sets up this, like, this, 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 this epic, you know, match um, that where he, he pits up one thing versus another and maybe even takes it back and forth a couple times to help sort out which is the winning way of thinking, or in his case, which is the winning way of doing, living. Okay, so that's kind of his style uh, and how he uh, assembles uh, his, his book. And then his intent. Uh, man, James 1 is kind of this, just a shotgun approach to everything else you're going to find in James 2, 3, 4, and 5. And as he's weaving this throughout and, 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 and kind of introducing his readers to the, to the whole scope of things he's going to talk about, one thing is clear. He wants his readers to walk away with something to do as they get a right, correct definition of spiritual maturity. So I'm going to say that again. He is highly interested in the corrective defining of spiritual maturity through clear character-reforming commands. You know, in James, there's 54 commands, and there's only 108 verses. He's really interested in honing in on the one who truly wants to follow after Jesus, be spiritually mature, and he's, he's doing everything in his uh, spirit-filled power to push.
push people toward spiritual maturity or pure and undefiled religion or faith with works or fill in the blank. He uses different words for this, but the, but the goal is that you see yourself empowered by the Spirit of God to live out for this faith to bear on your life. I use the word corrective defining uh, because kind of like uh, today, if, if you've been at all aware of kind of the climate of our society around the word marriage, it, it, the, the topics have been on legalizing same-sex marriage or uh, in some, some camps are pushing for adult-child marriage. And, 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 and what we as a church are trying to say is, look, let's not use that word. That's a redefinition of the word marriage. Marriage is given by God, man and woman. I'm not going to talk about uh, sexuality and issues pertaining to marriage today, but I want you to understand what James is doing. He's, he's taking this word, in our case, marriage has been redefined, and the church today has got to rescue it back, not by redefining it, but by correctly defining it. James is doing the same in regard to wisdom, in regard to spiritual maturity or faith. He's saying, you maybe have, it has been redefined as this other thing, whether that be partiality, whether that be in, in how you um, have a heavy, this, this faith, but it doesn't have a work, whether that be in how you have a wisdom and understanding, but it doesn't play out in your life. He's, he's trying to say, let's, let's correctively define it. You as this church that is growing and maturing has redefined spiritual maturity, and I'm writing to you and commanding to you to draw that back to the biblical definition of spiritual maturity. So um, that's kind of a big introduction. <laughs> but this is what I want you to see when you go to James. How does James write? Uh, what is he doing within the structure of his writing so that I can walk away not with thoughts but with action that is honoring and pleasing to God? So that, he says at the end of chapter 1, is religion that's before God, uh, the Father, that is pure and undefiled. So let's read in James 3, uh, 13 through 18, and then uh, we'll just kind of see what God has for us today. Uh, it says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father God, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe, um, even today again, of your, your, your magnificent love for us, demonstrated in Christ, and the way with which you've revealed yourself that we could not just know a, a good way of living, but that we could know you, the God, the creator, the sustainer of all things, who has who has wise counsel to give for his children. And so today, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide me as I uh, have fun 
digging through this passage and, and would it be honoring and building up to uh, a faith that is, that is lived through this life. Do more than we could ask, think of or imagine in this time, Jesus. Amen. So, so right off the bat, we see what I, I just explained to you. Uh, who is wise and understanding among you? That's the first half. He's gripping you. He's, he's putting that statement out there. And make no mistake about it, these churches like ours might have people who have thought that they've arrived. Spiritual maturity is the mantle that they wear broadly on their shoulders when they show up because they're not like this or not like that. And there's this, there's this redefining of what spiritual maturity is. And so he's calling it to question. Who is wise and understanding? And then he makes a statement that just absolutely floors the readers. And I'll get to that in a second. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. He's saying, who among you has accessed and retained the knowledge of God? And then he scandalously turns this corner and says, show your academic excellence with works that demonstrate the goodness of God. Show your elite social status with a heart of meekness that is low, that is humble. See, he defines the true virtue of wisdom, but he does it by pairing it with a slave-stained definition of meekness. Meekness and wisdom are as far apart to the original reader as the East is from the West. The wise aren't meek. Who's meek? The slave. The one who has been, who has, has nothing to offer, who has no lot in life. And James is provocatively stating that the one who is wise is the one who is low in heart. So in one fell swoop, he does this unexpected thing by defining wisdom. If you read that again, so what is what is wisdom? Having good conduct that results from a good heart. He's saying this head, as the wisdom of God, this revelation of God penetrates the head, it better affect and transform the heart with a humble posture that produces hands that are busy with the ways and practical demonstration of the love of God. In one fell swoop, he combines the wisdom of God with the head, the heart, and the hand. He, he will, in a minute, define wisdom at the end of our section today, but right here, he's saying, he's using this provocative statement to say, really, I'm not even talking about wisdom here, I'm talking about spiritual maturity. I'm talking about who is the one who has attained intimacy with God, it's the one who does not think of himself as higher than he ought but it's humble and brought low. Because the revelation of God isn't meant to tickle the ear. It's not meant to puff up the ego. The revelation of God is to inform the head, transform the heart, and employ the hands. Well, uh, he moves on from this uh, with a call out. He moves on from this like all over his book, right to the heart of the issue. Because he's not interested in, in just an academic exercise. He really cares that the church align with the wisdom of God. Because the head, heart, and hand, as they unify under the wisdom of God, that becomes 
that be- we become then vessels of God that can not just think, but be and do the work and the and participate in the, in the work of God in our lives. So he calls out. He, he reads on and it says, But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and be false to the truth. That's not the wisdom that comes from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Whoa. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there'll be disorder in every vile practice. You see that what he did there? He, he, he uses provocative statement about what wisdom is and then immediately pits up against it a counterfeit wisdom, a, a, a false way of, of, of viewing things, which, which in its heart, instead of meekness in heart, it has bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And, and at that point, that heart doesn't produce a wisdom of God or, or, or show participation in the wisdom of God. That heart actually produces... Not the fruit of wisdom, but the fruit of garbage, disorder, boasting. Every vile practice. And, and, I, and I think what James is trying to do here is he's trying to say uh, this, this wisdom, some, some translations, uh, when, when he calls it earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, that, that word unspiritual, it's like fleshly. Like it hasn't, doesn't have to do with the spiritual realm. It's, it's fleshly. Another uh, translation uh, is sensual or natural. So he's pitting up another wisdom opposed to the wisdom of God as being a one that's of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because it is, in its essence, opposed to all the things that God stands for in his character and ways, which will be obviously associated with his wisdom. Um, and so, so James is pitting these two things up. And if you're like me, you go, really, bitter jealousy and selfishness, truly, that's the, the heart uh, soil which will produce every vile practice? It seems a little bit like an overstatement. But think about it. If, if the wisdom of God informs the head, transforms the heart, and employs the hands, any deviation from this design inevitably results not just in behavior and wisdom that's unhelpful, but that is essentially and in essence opposed to God. You take away... You take away the wisdom of God as it penetrates our minds. We become passion-filled people, lust-driven people, undisciplined. James, James references this in chapter 1. He says, uh, put away, I'm sorry, he says, um, at this point, desire takes over. Well, you don't have your mind engaged, desire takes over, and it, it conceives in you, giving birth sin, and that sin will grow up and produce Death, James 1, 25 to 6. So you take out the, the, the wisdom of God as it, as it captivates the imagination and the attention of the mind. You've got sensuality and uh, being driven by desires that produce in you death. You take out the heart. Dude, I'm telling you, you've got information and action. Without a heart transformation, you've got legalism. You've got legalism. You're trusting that what you have heard and what you yourself can will yourself, purpose yourself to do, will somehow be of merit or good, but it can't without a transformed heart. Matthew, Jesus, addressing the Pharisees, says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their teaching are just human rules. Doesn't do you any good. You take out the hand, James just spent a whole section, James 2, faith without works 
is a dead faith, a faith that will have no saving benefit from God. So you see, these three, the head, heart, and hand, are necessarily coming under the lordship of God as they, with humble hearts, receive the wisdom and truth and revelation of God. And any deviation leads to every vile practice. It seems a little bit, at this point, when it'd be a good reminder that he's not writing to the local fire department. He's not, he's not writing to the teacher's union. He's writing to the church. He's telling the, the church, you disengage your mind and you're going to be running after your lusts. You disengage your heart. You are going to be stuck in legalism. You disengage your hands and that is a religion that is worthless. But he moves on. He moves into some good news. <laughs> uh, for uh, But the wisdom from above is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see, uh, there it again is this teeter-totter language. He explains this provocative statement about what wisdom from God and above and spiritual maturity, what that is. He hits strong and emphatic what it is not, and then he comes back with a with, with the haymaker to end this conversation. This is what it is. It is. Its source is from above. Proverbs 2, 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. And, and he explains that that wisdom is primarily visible when the nature and character of God have been so seen and experienced that it manifests in the fruit, visible fruit of wisdom's presence. The more I read this and looked at this, I found it very interesting. Um, who is wise and understanding? We might have a description of what that is, but then James, as he defines wisdom, he keeps defining it, not with what it is in essence, but with, but with what will be present along with it. So when wisdom is present, you'll have good works, you'll have purity, you'll have, you'll have, um, you'll have good fruit and gentle. See, when wisdom's present, it produces something. And it's like, it's, and he even says there, it's good fruits. It's like he's begging us as readers to recognize, and in a farming community, this is so applicable, that, that whatever gets planted grows up and bears fruit. And so if, if the seeds of wisdom are planted, then, then the, the fruit of its presence will reveal itself. And it's a whole bunch of attributes that unify and bring us back together in the peace, the harvest of righteousness, sown in peace, which is very interesting. So wisdom, then, instead of being this, this badge of honor that you wear on your shoulder, I've arrived. I've got the wisdom and counsel of God. And more than a badge of honor you wear, it's more like a movement of God in our midst that we participate in, because it's, it's His work that brings about this fruit. But, but make no mistake, and James would certainly not make this mistake, we are not passive participants. We are active participants as we receive in our minds the revelation of God. And as we uh, humbly, meekly yield ourselves to its counsel and, and then follow it through to fruition in our lives. 
and saturated with evil and abased thinking. Ready examples of simple compromise exist. But wisdom is first pure. It's pure. The language there suggests a clear, superior thing. First pure, then peaceable. James is drawing us to see something. There is a marker of the presence of the wisdom of God that will manifest a lot of other things in a second, but first of all, pure. I mean, I promise you, James is thinking, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. See, there's a sense in which the purity, the essence, comes from hearts that are meek, that are that are brought low and willing to receive and encounter God. The marks of wisdom that follow is this sort of formatted list. And it can quickly distract us from this radically different picture of wisdom that James is, is painting. James is painting a picture of wisdom, again, not as this mantle or badge, but as an atmospheric takeover of the peace and grace of God's presence. That is a way, way different picture of wisdom. And just so that you can maybe grasp it, you know, there's many of us, I don't know how many, because this isn't my normal Sunday morning location, but I don't know how many are guests in here, but if you've been here before, some of these spaces should look familiar. I like you just to close your eyes and just imagine this atmospheric takeover of peace. I want you to imagine a climate where as you come in, There is a commitment in your heart to live at peace with those you see. And you see visibly on their faces the same thing. And as you interact with members and strangers, with friends and unfamiliar, you have a pure heart. You desire to love well. You have hands that greet warmly those you see with gentleness and grace permeating the foyer. You look at people and you see in them eyes that are full of mercy. You see an atmosphere filled with laughter and grace. And when the potential for disagreement or misunderstanding arises, you have a mind that is confident in the revelation of God, that you're open to wisdom, you're open to reason, with ears that listen, with hearts that remain from the partiality of political and denominational bias. And in that place, the presence of God is felt and tangible. Does that sound like a pipe dream? <laughs> Does that sound like a pipe dream? It doesn't have to. James seems to suggest that the spiritual mature is one where God's wisdom and revelation and counsel have been received in their head, heart, and hand. And this fruit is born out in this, not theoretically, in this, the body of Christ. This, the people of God. And certainly it doesn't stay there. Because we all got jobs and families and homes that will take us from this gathering. And this result is beautiful. It says a harvest of righteousness good things, right? It's sown in peace by those who make peace. If I didn't say it already, these last couple verses are his concluding punch of a proverb. He's, he's, he's really 
He's really bringing us to something special by redefining or correctly defining wisdom. He's contrasting. You know, if, if you've been in a church for more than three weeks, I promise you, you've felt the other things, the other warnings that James gives us. You've been in this world or this community for more than three years, you've felt it here as well. He's contrasting the wisdom of this world, flesh, and devil, the one that he says in, in James 3 creates a, it's a place where tongues blaze with the fire of hell itself and cause destruction. He's, com- he's, he's comparing it the opposite of this disorder in every vile practice. In chapter 4, he says there's fights and quarrels and division among people. He's saying this is utterly different. The wisdom of God and the spiritually mature sets a tone that is unifying to the church and honoring to God. Let's pray. One other thing to notice as this passage concludes is he says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And in our little town here, so often I think we want it to say, a harvest of righteousness is experienced by those who keep the peace. There's a big difference between making peace and keeping peace. And I, th- I think it's, it becomes clearly implied that um, this is a peace that is anything but passive. But it's certainly not passive-aggressive. It's boldly merciful. It's reasonably sincere. It's entirely pure. Above reproach, normal existence, if you will. So, uh, James certainly didn't ask us to talk about this today so that we could walk away feeling uh, like we understood something. He, he asked the question very pointedly, not what is wisdom, but who is wise? So I want to I bring this together, land the plane today with this. James asks a question I wish to motivate you. Don't be content to, to, to merely hear the words of God. I invite the Spirit to come and help you inspect the fruit of your life. I really believe there's something to this. The heart becomes the ground with which the seeds of wisdom sprout, or the, the seeds of division of every kind sprout. So check the fruit of your life. Let the Spirit come. He's the counselor. Counselor, he's good at his job. Invite the Spirit to come help you inspect these fruit. And if it's rotten fruit, my guess is you're going to trace it back to a rotten root. But there's nothing to be feared here. Because God is opposed to the proud who says, My fruit is fine, thank you. But he gives grace. More grace, James 4, to the humble. To come before him as prescribed with a heart of absolute meekness absolute recognition of your need and entrust Him to reveal not just this rotten roots that He will uproot, but then receive the wisdom of God, the wisdom from above. Let, let the Spirit of God give instruction as you encounter Him here in this service, in discipling relationships and at work in your community. One of the things as I was reading this, and I, I'm still working out, I don't 
preach sermons all that often. But one of the things I recognized about this whole uh, thing James was doing with the head, heart, and hand, this is entirely the work of the Spirit of God, but not passively. See, it's the Spirit of God who reveals truth, says uh, John, uh, I believe it's John uh, 14. It's the Spirit of God who convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment, John uh, 16. James 1 says that. It's the Spirit of God that manifests gifts and fruits in our lives that help us to be uh, actively engaged in our community with love and, and peace and patience and kindness, with gifts of helping, with gifts of teaching and preaching the Word of God. It's this whole thing, as we, as we unify our head, heart, and hand under the wisdom of God, the truth is we're doing so with the drive of the Holy Spirit. We're yielding ourselves to the work of the Spirit, and this process will play itself out actively as we engage with the Holy Spirit. So check your fruit. Take it back to the root. Don't leave any trace of a, of a wisdom that uh, is a deviation from a head, heart, and hand that has been fully yielded to God for His revelation, transformation, and employment in your life, in your family, in your community. Father God, this is a word that is, that is good for my heart. So frequently, um, I stand on my wisdom. I stand on my counsel. I stand... woefully engaged in a world where I'm trying to do it on my own. I'm not yielded to you, Holy Spirit, who wants to reveal, who wants to convict, who wants to see every member of Mountain Lane touched tangibly by you through the people of God. So Holy Spirit, where we fall short from this, forgive us. Have mercy on us. Even now, awaken in us Awaken us, show us the places. And that we not shrink back or justify or try to keep a spot in our hearts for our rebellion and obstinance, but instead be found meek in heart, pure, available to you. That you be made famous in our community and you receive all the glory.